1: Into the Rotowire Sports Gambling Podcast, a subsidiary of the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Of course, that's where you're listening to us on your podcast uh, feed of choice. I am Nick Whalen, joined as I will be every week again this season by my good pal John McKechnie. Uh, John, you and I uh, talked about my Circa Million entry. Uh, you can find that archived on the Rotowire YouTube channel. You can find it on all the Rotowire social channels. So we've already dipped our toes in. A little bit to the week one board. We, we've talked about three or four games that we're aligned on, but uh, we got a lot more time here. I mean, that that video is only like twenty minutes. I mean, we got we got a full hour to dive in on everything week one. Uh, we are recording full disclosure late afternoon on Thursday, so we're not going to talk a whole lot of Chiefs Lions uh, as of recording. Doesn't sound like Travis Kelsey is going to play in that game, uh, but we'll hit both of those teams next week when we preview week two. Uh, Jonathan, we 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 did our futures episode this time last week. I want to reiterate how great it is to be back in the saddle with you. This is the, the highlight of my week during the NFL season. And, and look, you love football as much as I do. There's a lot of highlights going on throughout our weeks at Rotowire. Uh, but this, this, this hour will, will always hold a place in my heart.
2: Yeah. I mean, this is, this is where uh, for, for better, for worse, the, the higher ups have decided to give us a platform for an hour to just, you know, shoot the crap, talking football, talking about our bets, Making fun of each other for the previous week's best bets that did not come in, all that good stuff. Um, It's the best. It. it, I definitely have a blast. Definite highlight every single week during the football season because you know no one's gonna feel bad for us that our job is to talk about football. But it's grind this time of year. You know, like there's a lot. There's a lot of uh, things in the air. A lot of things that you and I both need to take care of. But for this hour, Mm -hmm. we're just talking. We're just Shooting takes baby. It's great.
1: Yep. Shooting the crap. I think that's the best way to, to sum up this podcast. Uh, but yeah, for the next hour we got, we got blinders on. It's all pigskin all the time. Uh, let's get into some of the games that uh, again, we, we, we know we're aligned on and we'll, we'll try to hit on all 16 or I guess all 15 non Thursday night games uh, and give at least a, a take on each of those. We'll go deeper on some than others. Uh, I want to start. I, I promise there's no bias here with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, do some line shopping here because, you know, I, I love the Jags at minus five on the road at Indianapolis. You'll see that line at the DraftKings Sportsbook, for example, but in the Circa Million Contest over at FanDuel right now, that number sits at four and a half. Uh, you know, we know that, that Trevor Lawrence has never won a road game at Indy. He's only had two tries and he was coached by Urban Meyer for one of them. So I'm throwing that out. Uh, we also know that the Colts, John, are 113 and 1 ATS in week one, over the last 15 years. So, you know, that spans uh, all the, the the gamut of quarterbacks that they've thrown out the last few years. Curtis Painter is included in that. Peyton Manning is included in that. Uh, this is a team that has tended to start slow. And look, no team has had more chaos this offseason, especially over the last month than the Indianapolis Colts. No other team in the NFL had its owner come out and say, hey, you could die and the league would move on. We don't even care. <laughs> no other team is dealing with that, man. And on top of all that, I think this is probably a bottom five roster in the NFL, just in terms of talent, especially at key positions, you got a rookie quarterback. Uh, And then on the other side, you know, I I have big time questions about this Jacksonville defense. I am very interested to see how that defense holds up against the Kansas city chiefs next week. I I don't know if that's going to be a problem this week though. I I think the Colts are a perfect opponent to, to kind of soft launch the the 2023 Jaguars defense against. And I think this Jags offense has a chance to really go off in the dome.
2: So, This is a particularly interesting one because I feel like this game in particular, and and it seems like we're treated to a lot of Jacksonville versus Indianapolis early in the season or or week one. A lot of the time, I feel like it was either last year or two years ago that there was like a huge upset, although important context, Indianapolis never wins in Jacksonville. This game is in Indianapolis. So you can kind of write off, at least I think, uh, the bizarro outcomes in this one. I think this one, despite the those, the weirdness that that tends to surround this particular rivalry, I think we're looking at a really great opportunity to, to back the Jags here. I think Indianapolis under too much turmoil, um, it would take really a Herculean effort for from Anthony Richardson. I I, I believe in Richardson long term, but asking him week one to um to defeat a team like the Jaguars that that was a scrappy team that made it all the way to the AFC divisional round last year. It's a bridge too far. I feel like uh, the, the Jaguars addition of Calvin Ridley is really going to be something that takes that offense to another level. And what, we'll see if the offensive line is, you know, uh, making uh, important strides forward. Like you said, the defense, a work in progress, but that might not really become an issue until after this week. So for, for me, like you said, I think it's really smart to, to shop lines here because there is a decent amount of variance. I mean, even at, at points bet, if you like Indianapolis, they're offering that at plus five and a half. So, oh. um, they're, they're, right? So there seems to be uh, you know, some, act, some serious uh, discrepancies be- between the books here, but yeah, if you're on the Jags, look for a book where they're still mm-hmm. available at four and a half because I, I think that they, they cruise past this regardless, but Obviously, you you want to uh, lessen that uh, margin for error.
1: Yeah, a lot of money already in on the Jaguars uh, that they have uh, roughly 85 percent of the bets in on Jacksonville to cover that five point spread. Uh, That's via the DraftKings Sportsbook and even more money, John, uh, on the under 46 and a half here. And, you know, again, you're going to look around at that number. You might find a, a point or two in either direction. I think I like the under here as well. I, you know, I think Jacksonville. If things break right here for this offense, and I think they want to make a statement, right? I think they want they want a, a big kind of reintroduction of Calvin Ridley to the NFL. I think they're going to make a point to get him involved. And you know, I, I think the the general hierarchy in the Jags offense makes a lot more sense now. You know, you're not asking Christian Kirk to play up as a wide receiver. One, he slides back into his more natural role as a wide receiver two. Zay Jones, more natural at a wide receiver. Three. Um, you know, I do worry about what this does for Evan Ingram in fantasy, you know, kind of being knocked down the, the pecking order pretty significantly with the addition of Ridley. But, you know, I, I think, you know, if Jacksonville could put up 30, 34 points in this game. I just, you know, it, th- there's a certain Anthony Richardson. We don't know what it's going to be factor here. And again, I don't love the Jags defense, but um, I, I think I would lean under 46 and a half because I don't trust the Colts to pull their weight.
2: Right. So I, I could see this being 31, 14 Jags and the, the under is still the right side here. So um, yeah, I, I think bottom line here, the important detail is Indianapolis offense, not being able to generate enough points to kind of push this to right. the over. So at 46 and a half, definitely um, on the under here as, as well. This should be fairly one-sided in favor of Jacksonville.
1: So I mentioned we're we're doing Circa Million this year. Really excited to get into that contest. You're going to be giving me uh, a significant amount of help, John, with those picks throughout the year. Uh, We got a message from our friends at Circa to pass along. It is football season at Circa Resort and Casino out in Las Vegas, featuring the best pool in history. It's called Stadium Swim. John, you and I have been there a number of times. Uh, I I can corroborate. It is the best pool in history. Big facts. We're We're talking three levels, six pools, and 143 foot diagonal screen. Uh, it's massive. It's a little overwhelming at times. There's a ton of games going on at once, but Stadium Swim is America's favorite place to watch football. It's my favorite place to watch football. They play every game college, pros. You'll even get some baseball mixed in there uh, through November. You can catch all the action poolside from a variety of seating options, including cozy day beds to private temperature controlled cabanas. Stadium Swim It's located at Circa Resort and Casino. It's open 365 days a year, all sports, all seasons. You can book today at CircaLasVegas.com. That's CircaLasVegas.com. Let's move on, John, to a a game and a line that I've increasingly liked more and more as the week has gone along, due in part to uh, a player on the other side of the line uh, being ruled out. And that, of course, is Cooper Cup. Seattle sitting as a a five-and-a-half-point favorite over the LA Rams. Uh, that number actually y- you could find uh, as low as four at Vandal. Uh, it's actually down to five now at DraftKings, been on the move a-, a little bit over the last couple of hours here. What explains that line movement to you? You know, when we talked four hours ago, it was five and a half.
2: Right. So that, that one is not making a ton of uh, sense to me. Uh, I mean, that must be uh, some sort of market correction because it, as far as we know, um, Seattle should be pretty much at full strength here so you would have you would have expected especially with the Cooper Cup uh, news tr- coming earlier this week that if anything this line was going gonna move a little bit closer towards you know Seattle minus six uh, minus six and a half something along those lines so for for th- this movement that that is a bit uh confusing if if anything uh, when, when it comes to breaking this game down but I'm, I'm standing strong standing steady uh, when it comes comes to back in Seattle here I just feel like the Rams it might be understated just how bad they're going to be this season I think a week one game in Seattle noisy environment there the fans are, are juiced once again um, now that they have a competitive product on the field I, I really have a hard time seeing uh, Los Angeles staying competitive here
1: I do as well. And again, I am confused by that line movement, uh, as you are, um, you know, I, I think the Cooper cup absence, you know, my, my guess is that the bookmakers probably had that factored in, uh, you know, for, for the last couple of weeks as this line sat at five and a half, but, uh, still strange, you know, I, I guess I struggle to find a case, you know, why, why anybody is betting the Rams right now or, or putting enough, uh, you know, enough money coming in on the Rams to, to really shift that line. Um, you know, I, I think the, the, the one thing I, I guess that you could give in favor of the Rams is they do have Sean McVay. You know, he still still somewhat carries that mystique. Uh, I just don't think this is a good roster, man. I, the, you know, this is a team that went all in. They got their Super Bowl. It was worth it, no question. But even at the time, you know, when when they made the the trade for, for Jalen Ramsey and they made the Odell Beckham trade, you're thinking, well, at, at some point you're going to have to pay the Piper here. And it, it kind of feels like that's happened already. I mean, even if Cooper Cup was playing in this game, I'd be very comfortable taking Seattle at four. I wouldn't be as comfortable, but... You take him out, and there's there's just no obvious pivot for Matthew Stafford in this offense. And by the way, we have not seen Matthew Stafford since week eleven of last season. So I I don't know that it's a given that Matthew Stafford is all of a sudden back to being the guy that he was two years ago when he led this team to a Super Bowl. So yeah, right. the, I, I have a lot of questions about the Rams' offense. I have even more questions about their defense. I, I think this is a great great spot for Seattle at home.
2: Yeah, I think I think bottom line here with, with the Rams is. You know they're they're coming off the weakest title defense in history, basically. Um, just non-competitive uh, for the bulk of last season. It started uh, week one um, against Buffalo, and it just snowballed from there. Cup getting hurt, her- uh, Matthew Stafford getting hurt, and so on. And because of the that pushing the chips to the middle of the table, dynamic in the the Rams just kind of deciding we're not going to draft players. We're just going to trade our draft picks. Four established players. That's well and good, um, and it obviously worked for them in, in the 2021 season. But like you said, who pay the piper on the back end? They were not able to restock that roster really whatsoever this off season. So I mean, I think we're looking at a team that that will be is more likely to challenge for the number one overall pick mm-hmm. uh, in the, in the coming draft this year, this year than uh, you know anything resembling a, a competitive uh, team. So. Seattle, I think, takes advantage of that. I, I think that there just simply isn't enough on this Rams roster, even if they are well coached, uh, to really hang with with a team like Seattle at this at this juncture.
1: Yeah, I mean, McVay has just kind of owned Pete Carroll nine and four, uh, you know, ATS. He's won five straight uh, against the spread against Pete Carroll, but Seattle's covered three straight openers as well. And uh, again, Seattle getting this game at home pushes it over the top for me. Uh, let's go to Atlanta, Carolina. And we'll bounce around a little bit here, and then we'll make sure we we talk about. Uh, all 15 non-Thursday night games on the slate. Uh, Atlanta sitting at three and a half. Uh, that's the number. Uh, it's been pretty steady, right? You're not seeing a ton of line movement there. That's the number uh, at DraftKings. That's the number at FanDuel. That's the number at BetMGM and PointsBet. You can uh, compare all these odds, by the way, over at Rotowire.com. If you go to our NFL betting section, there's a, a great page that allows you to, you know, kind of see where all the sports books are at, find the best line. For every game, whether you're looking at the money line, the spread, the total, uh, even player props. So I recommend you checking that out. It's a tool we use all the time. You know, three and a half is not an ideal number for me, Um, but I I just, I really like this Falcons team early on. I think they have a, a nice runway to start this season. Like at worst, four and three. I think they can go five and two over their first seven games. Really soft schedule throughout the year, but especially early. And it starts with this game, you know, and I, I understand if you have questions about Desmond Ritter, I, I still have questions about him myself. He has never played an actual snap with Kyle Pitts, who, who was out at the end of last season. So, um, I, you know, I, I'm not I'm not making the case here that the Falcons are just going to roll through, uh, you know, unabated against the Carolina Panthers. But it, for me, this is a, a really, really tough spot for Bryce Young to have to come in and make his first NFL start on the road against the defense that should be better. And against the Falcons offense that, to me, isn't going to ask Desmond Ritter to do too much. You just need Desmond Ritter to not turn the ball over, make the right throws, make the right plays, and more than anything, just hand the ball off to Bijan Robinson, hand the ball off to Tyler Algier. Uh, I think the Falcons can kind of dominate the, the flow of this game on the ground.
2: Well, I have a sneaking suspicion that you must host an NFL-centric radio show for eight hours a week because that's the kind of takes take craftsmanship that mm-hmm. can only be born out of out of that level of preparation when you're talking about the early part of this falcon schedule baby that's where we want to hammer it and and like you said you know it starts this sunday home game against a divisional opponent rolling out a, a rookie starter um a kind of uh not super inspiring group of skill position guys around him the offensive line is young i think it it will you know uh, gel in time but i think uh, for for this particular setup, it's going to be tough for them to move the ball. I have my my lingering skepticism on Bryce Young <clears throat> to begin with, as far as his transition to this level. And the Falcons, yeah, they can just play bully ball. Well, I think you know you you add Bijan Robinson to a run game that was already extremely effective. I think that offensive line is considered one of the one of the better ones in football, and I think that's going to help kind of carry them over the course of this season. I liked what they did in free agency as well. So this all sets up really nicely for the Falcons. Um, it, it's, it can be tricky to to trust the Falcons with more than a field goal, and I, and I definitely understand that, and, and I had some reservations about it last night when we were talking about it, but as we've talked it out a little bit more, the more I come down on, on the side of the Falcons, uh, getting it done here, covering that three-and-a-half, and, and maybe even looking uh, more like a touchdown here.
1: Yeah, number one overall picks uh, making their first career start in week one. They are 7 and 19 ATS uh, since, I don't know, how, how many years is that? 22 years. Um, oh, actually, I don't even know. I, I'm so bad at math trying to do these things mentally on the fly. Mm-hmm. Either way, 7 and 19 is the number over the last uh, 26 starts made by a number one overall pick in his first career start. Um, those players are 1 and 13 ATS uh, since 2002, John. Uh, not since David Carr. Uh, for the Houston Texans back in 0-2 has a number one overall pick quarterback covered in his first start. Uh, they're o13 and one straight up since 2002, so not a lot of metrics pointing you in favor of Bryce Young and the Carolina Panthers. And Frank Reich, it, everywhere he's gone, he's gotten off to slow starts. O4 and one ATS and straight up in week one as a head coach. Now on the other side of this, Atlanta has not won in week one since 2017, so something has to give here, but. I, I really like the Falcons to, to control this game. And again, not ask too much of Desmond Ritter. Let's go to your team. We, we've already talked about my Jags. You are a Baltimore Ravens fan. Uh, Baltimore gets a gift here, John, in, in week one, uh, especially, you know, new faces in this offense, new offensive coordinator in Todd Munkin. Uh, I think this is, this is basically one of like the three teams in the NFL that you'd want to play at home in week one and they get the Texans uh, that numbers moved around a little bit. I've seen some nine and a halves uh, around uh, at some shops here, but Um, you know, the line has basically been 10 all week. That's what it is at FanDuel, but uh, again, down to nine and a half at DraftKings.
2: It is. And a lot of the money on the spread for this game in particular is actually, uh, coming in on the Texans. It looks like 70% of of the, of the handle, um, at DraftKings Sportsbook is actually, uh, coming in on, on Houston. I, I think that that speaks to this being the biggest number on the board. I think you have some great stats to, to give the listeners as far as double digit favorites, um, playing in, in week one in their cover rate. It, it's uh, a little spoiler alert. It's not awesome. Um, but, but I think at the same time, you know, other than the, the Raiders game in the 2021 season, uh, the, the Ravens under Harbaugh have been nails in week one for, for the most part. So um, I, I feel like that them being at, at home, playing against, you know, what is obviously one of the worst teams in football that is going to be down uh, three of its, you know, projected starting offensive linemen. That really hurts. You you have a guy in C.J. Stroud who um, I think the biggest question about him is is his ability to play in adverse setups because everything at Ohio State was on easy mode. He's playing with receivers that were ready to play on Sundays on Saturday. He had a, a you know an all world offensive line to work with in an offense that's definitely geared to be extremely quarterback friendly. Uh, There's no bigger like turnaround or shift uh, than playing quarterback for the Houston Texans after after that. Um, So Bryce Young is going to be dealing with something similar in Houston and uh, or I'm sorry, in Carolina. And CJ Stroud, I think, is going to have kind of a a rude awakening here or rude introduction to the NFL um, here on Sunday. So I think all of that combined with the concerns on the Texans side, I think the Ravens, I think that. Their move from Greg Roman to Todd Munkin is going to prove to be one of the more significant uh, coaching personnel moves of this entire NFL offseason. All of a sudden, that an offense that uh, was bereft of talent and imagination last year has both of them now, and oh. we can't we can't always count on a new offense clicking right away. But I don't know; they've had all offseason to prepare for for this particular game too. And I, I think that it, I think the Ravens want to show, um, you know, proof of concept that that Munkin and the the new receivers, it's going to work and it's going to look different in Baltimore this year.
1: I think Baltimore just has a, a really wide margin for error in this game. Like even if it doesn't look great, even if it's a little clunky at first, even if there's a you know a bit of an adjustment period, like I, I just I, I don't think you feel that same sense of urgency. You know, if you're matching up against the the Cincinnati Bengals in Week One, you know, in division, I, I think you're. Baltimore's is going to have a runway here to to kind of experiment early in this game, see what works, see what doesn't. And look, I mean, nine and a half, 10, it, it's a big number for sure. And, you know, I, I do in fact have some numbers to throw at you here. Um, we're not even talking double digit underdogs, just underdogs of eight points or more in the last 20 years are 25 and nine ATS. That's a 74% cover rate in week one. So, you know, historically teams like Houston do find ways uh, to keep these games relatively close, but um, you know, I, I, I think to me, you could talk me into Baltimore, especially at nine and a half. You know, I, I think it's very easy to see this being a, a 10 plus point game. I like it more at nine and a half than I do 10, believe it or not. Um, I like Baltimore even more as a survivor team. We'll talk about them later in the show when we do our, our weekly survivor preview. Uh, week one double digit favorites, by the way, 25 and five straight up in the last 20 years. So that's a great indication for Baltimore. Uh, and the Ravens are 11 and four ATS in week one. Under Jim Harbaugh, so historically this team, you know, regardless of, of what the changes have been, regardless of who the quarterback is, uh, they, they found ways to to start fast. So I like that one as well. Um, where do we want to go next year? Now, the board is is our friend here, John. Let's uh, you know let, let's just go to the next one listed chronologically here on roadwire.com. Okay. Bengals Browns, a hell of a matchup here. Uh, Number sitting at two and a half uh, across the board. Uh, minus one thirty-five is the money line on the Bengals. If you want that, plus one twenty for the Browns total up at 47 and a half. This feels like kind of a redux to me. Uh, We're going down this road again with the Cincinnati Bengals. They are the better team. They are the team that I think represents the AFC in the Super Bowl. But for the second straight year, you know, we have Joe Burrow limited at the end of camp. Last year was the appendix this year. Mm -hmm. It's the calf. You know, there's concerns that I look, I don't think it turns into the disaster that week one was last year when Burrow threw four picks, lost a fumble, was sacked seven times and Cincinnati to be still should have won that game and regulation. If Evan McPherson makes a field goal, they, they somehow escape that game. They ended up losing in overtime to the Pittsburgh Steelers. But, uh, you know, I, I think the the 49ers going down to the Steelers and the Bengals going down to the Browns, those to me have been the two trendiest upset picks that I'm seeing this week.
2: Yeah, the, those definitely are. And I think that there's good good cases to be made on on, on either side um, when it comes to those two games in particular. and And when it comes to this one, um, you know, it, the, the big question that, that I think is going to be overarching in the NFL this year generally is which Deshaun Watson are, are we going to see? And if he looks anything like the Houston Deshaun Watson, as opposed to, you know, the last six weeks of last season, then the Browns are absolutely a dangerous team. And they're going to be at home against a divisional rival in this one. This could be uh, pretty dicey for the Bengals and, and, you know, the Bengals coming off their, their second straight, you know, tough postseason loss do they kind of wear those scars a little bit into the first week or two mm-hmm. of the season and I think that they absolutely could and I, I think also you have a Browns uh, group of skill position players that is extremely impressive probably not on the on the same par as as what the Bengals are cooking with of course but um, I, I still think that you know the combination of Amari Cooper David and Joku showed a lot last year adding Elijah Moore Um, you have Nick Chubb in, in, you know, the peak of, of his prime, in my opinion, Nick Chubb that I'm ready for it, man. I I have so much Chubb in, in, uh, in, in my fantasy and best ball portfolio this year. It's, uh, I'm, I'm in big trouble if he misses any time, but besides the point here, I think that the Bengals, I don't like them to cover this one. I know two and a half is an alluring one because you know, a field goal gets you where you need to be, but I'm going to side with with the home dogs here. I'm going to go with the dog pound. I'm going to go with the Cleveland Browns to cover this one.
1: This is probably a stay away for me. I'm not going to bet it. I I don't think I'm going to include it uh, in my, my circa million entry, which by the way, um, thank you to circa for giving me this very cool circa million hat. Uh, It does not fit my below average size head, but nonetheless, (laughs) it will be displayed uh, in my office throughout the season. You know, the fact that Cincinnati was in this situation last year, like that's, that's what's preventing me from fully trusting the Browns. And I I went with Cleveland in our staff picks and I I just didn't feel great about it because I I feel like the Bengals, they're going to be aware, right? You know, I I think that they're, if we're talking about it, they know it internally. They're, they're going to be saying, look, we we know what happened last year. We can't start as cold as we did last season and expect to just battle our way back and and win what eight or nine in a row, whatever it was. Uh, I I think they're going to be aware and I think they're going to do everything they can to, to prevent uh, that, that disaster. And, And look again, they almost beat the Steelers last year in what was a disaster, disaster game for Joe Burrow in just about every element. And, and that's the thing with the Bengals is like, yeah, you know, they can be down 14 to three at halftime and they're, they're just never out of any game. So I, I respect your take on the Browns. I, I, it's like a 51 49 game for me. I, I lean Cleveland as well, but I, I don't like this one one bit. Uh, let's go to mm-hmm. Tampa Bay and Minnesota. Uh, this is a line that's also been on the move. It's been sitting Minnesota minus six for most of the week. Now you're seeing it at Vikings minus five and a half across the board. Are we undervaluing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers?
2: I honestly think we might be, Um, which is, which is crazy to say, you know, I don't think the Buccaneers are going to be a good team at all this year. You know, I I think that they are, they're probably my pick to be uh, last place in the NFC South. However, when it comes to betting, the lines are set. So, you know, it really does become that, that 50, 50 type of proposition. And, I think one of the big recurring themes uh, from our show last year was just not really trusting the Vikings. Like they would win every week, but you would not be convinced whatsoever by by whatever uh, they put out there on the on the previous Sunday. And I just I'm not sure that that goes away. And if anything, uh, we might see some regression for, from the Vikings. I mean, a, a team with as low of a uh, points differential versus the record that they had last year. It stands to reason that they are going to a be in a lot of close games once again, and b um, not have that same success rate in those one score games. So, as uninspiring as it is to to back Baker Mayfield as a retread, and you have an offensive line that that's in a little bit of trouble here, and you know you have. Uh, a backfield that no one's really sold on it, things looked really stale last year p- post Tom Brady I still think they have a good enough defense to gunk things up just a little bit and I, it's really when it comes down to it I just I still need some convincing to trust the Vikings so when it when it's something like a six point line or five and a half I feel like the buccaneers can can find their way into covering here
1: Todd Bowles, 18 27 and three. ATS as a dog in his coaching career. Baker is, is one of the worst ATS QBs in the last couple of decades. I mean, that, that that's where I struggle here, right? Like, I, I don't love the coaching in Tampa Bay. I, I certainly don't love the quarterback. But I, I do think the rest of this roster is is a lot better than we're giving it credit for, right? I think everybody everybody kind of wants to toss the Buccaneers into the same bucket as like the Colts and the Texans and the Cardinals, maybe even the Rams. And I, I just think, I think there's just a lot more talent on this roster than there is uh, on those other teams that are, are kind of vying for bottom five position, and and look, I mean, Tampa Bay was you know, a team that was contending for Super Bowls, you know, as recently as last year, they were a playoff team, and you know, they never they never really woke up, uh, including that playoff loss to Dallas. But I, I don't think this is a roster that sees itself as like a four win team, which uh, you know, a lot of people, I've uh, you know, kind of talked about it as. So yeah, this this is a tough one for me. I I, I would lean Minnesota. I really would. I, I know everybody. Thinks Minnesota is going to regress, and I do as well. They were a 13 win team. They went 11 and 0 in one score games. Like there is no way in he double hockey sticks, John, that that's happening again. But I, I think you could say, all right, maybe they win three fewer games, and they're you know they're still a 10 win team, and they're still maybe winning the NFC South. So uh, you know they have the advantage at quarterback. They have the the single best player on the field in Justin Jefferson, and they're at home in this game. So I I don't really have a problem taking Minnesota here. I, I wouldn't say I love it, but I, I just I can't back Baker Mayfield in week one. I can't do it.
2: Let's it, it move just on. Or go ahead. It, but bottom line here for me, you're not going to find a lot out there that, that supports taking the Buccaneers here, but weird stuff happens in week one. And so I'm going to yeah. lean into that.
1: That's the ultimate counterpoint. Weird stuff does happen. Upsets are going to happen. This could be one of them. Let's go to Titan Saints. This is one of the most evenly matched games on the slate. This is one that I will be staying far away from in circa million saints, uh, three point favorites. That's been the line for a while now. No real movement there. Just kind of getting the standard three at home. Uh, I get it. I I think these teams are again, very, very evenly matched. I I think Tennessee when at full strength is is another team that to me is pretty underrated. Now over the course of 18 games, can all of Derrick Henry, Traylon Burks, DeAndre Hopkins, Ryan Tannehill, Chigakaku, can they all stay healthy? Probably not. If any one of those guys goes down, especially Derrick Henry or especially Ryan Tannehill this team could sink very, very quickly, but uh, I I think everybody's jumping off Tennessee a little bit too early here. I I think they will challenge the Jaguars who have a very difficult schedule in the AFC South. And, you know, we always talk about, you know, coaches like Mike Tomlin and Bill Belichick, like you don't want to bet against them, especially if they're an underdog. I mean, Mike Vrabel kind of deserves a seat in that conversation as well.
2: Yes, he he does. He's going to have his guys ready to play. I don't think that the Superdome is mystique is quite what it was as far as that home field advantage. Uh, for the Saints is concerned, and and you know, on one side of the coin, you we love uh, you know backing a team that is coached by Mike Vrabel because you know that you know the the effort and the intensity and and just the sheer uh, uncomfortableness uh, that they introduce to their opponents is you know something that that's worthwhile. I also love betting against Dennis Allen. Like I don't think he's a good coach, what whatsoever. Uh, there, you know, th- this is you know talking point. Z on, on this, but you know, Alvin Kamara's is be is out and there's no real backfield depth with Kendra Miller being dinged up. So all of a sudden we're, we're like really, really counting on Derek Carr to, um, to, you know, kind of save the day in his saints debut. Um, it's interesting to me that, that the, the action is a little bit lopsided, um, on this one, we're looking at 71% of, of the, um, of the, uh, money coming in on Tennessee, uh, to cover the this spread of, of three. Um, so that's, you know, and that is interesting when you can uh, compare it to the fact that uh, of the tickets, it's basically even. Um, so what, what I'm saying there is that almost the same amount of people have bet on the Saints as they have the Texans, but monetarily speaking, it's very lopsided in the side of Tennessee. So someone uh, who owns a, a business in Nashville must, must have plunked down a, a, a pretty penny. Uh, for this one to kind of sway it to that extent,
1: uh, w- one little prop bet angle that I like here Jamal Williams is plus 150 to score at any time in this game. You can get that at Bet MGM, he's at plus money at DraftKings as well. Uh, may I remind you, he had 18 touchdowns last year essentially as a, like a backup running back, and he's he's the clear starter for these first three weeks. So, yeah, I, I don't see this being a high scoring game. I mean, the total's at 41 for a reason. You, you can see both of these teams you know, ending up under 20, like this could very easily be like a 19 to 17 game either way. Uh, but I, I'd like Jamal Williams add plus money to find his way into the end zone here. Um, any other thoughts, any other angles on this one?
2: Um, not, not especially. I, th- I think something that's going to be a key takeaway here is the Tennessee offensive line, because in the preseason, it looked like it, w- it had the potential to be historically bad. I mean, the, the bears again, preseason, early preseason at that, um, they they were just in Tennessee's backfield constantly. Um, you wonder if the Saints with, with uh, Cam Jordan and company um, are they going to be able to, to heat up Ryan Tannehill? Um, you know, pretty much every time he drops back, I think that's going to be a key here. But um, bottom line, I'm siding with with Tennessee. I wish I was getting the the hook on the other end of it, but what can you yeah. do? Um, I'm still going to going to go with the Titans.
1: Yeah, I'd also take Chris Olave over four and a half receptions in this game as well. Let's go to the Cardinals and the Commanders, John. Uh, we're seeing this one bet up to seven and a half at some shops. It's been holding at seven at DraftKings. That's the number for Circa Million as well. Uh, it, it's a lot of points, man. It's a lot of points for the Commanders to cover. Uh, it, it does sound like, as of Thursday evening, Terry McLaurin is, is trending toward playing, although you have to wonder... You know what? What percentage he will be at? Uh, does he make it through this game? Do they do they risk you know, um, you know, playing him a, a full snap load and, and potentially tweaking that injury? We will see. Regardless, the Commanders being seven point favorites, there's only one team that, that 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 could result in this line in week one, and it's the Arizona Cardinals. And look, for as skeptical as I may be as of the Washington Commanders, I am I am very very down on Arizona. We we finally saw that win total number uh, shrink in the last couple of weeks, down to three and a half. I, I don't know where the wins come, man. You know, maybe the Rams trip up, and, and you know that that could be a spot in division. They get them twice, but huh, th- this is as, as bad of a roster top to bottom. And you know, starting with the quarterback, like as of 36 hours ago, we didn't even know who's going to be starting Week One for this team. They're going to go with Josh Dobbs. I wouldn't be surprised if we see some Clayton Tune in this game as well. Uh, uncomfortable number for me. I mean, if Washington was six and a half, no brainer. Uh, but but this thing holding on at seven has given me a little bit of pause.
2: Yeah, understandable, because there's so much unknown on the Washington side of things, too. You know, how does Sam Howell uh, look now that he's taking over as the starter? But I think the rest of that roster is pretty strong. I think the, the line's OK. I think the, the defense, particularly the front seven, is really strong. And, and the receiving core is fantastic. I think it's one of the more underrated units um, in football. I mean, it, it, again, I, I think almost regardless of McLaurin in this particular spot, they're still going to be able to have success through the air. And in, in my opinion, I don't think that the Cardinals have a whole lot of pass rush juice. Uh, you know, they just traded away Isaiah Simmons. They couldn't figure out what to do with Isaiah Simmons, a guy who is just like uh, one of the, one of the more rare athlete prospects. I, I know that, you know, sometimes if a guy doesn't have the, the requisite, you know, football IQ or the, or the right fit, but it feels like the Cardinals really mess that one up, especially getting a defensive coordinator in who is, you know, famous for, for his ability to put the guys in the, in the right spots um, in Philly. So uh, the Cardinals, like you said, are they're racing to the bottom and there might not be much competition uh, for them to, to hit that number one spot in the draft. Seven points is tricky, but I, I see this one as like a Washington 31, uh, Arizona 7 uh, t- type of game.
1: Yeah, I, I just don't know what the case for Arizona is on either side of the ball, right? It's not one of those teams where you're like, oh man, they have nothing on offense, but the defense is okay. It's like, no, the, the defense is terrible. The offense could be even worse. And I, I think you're right to point out that the, the Washington front seven is far and away the best like positional unit in this game. And you know, I, I think we could see you know, five, six, seven sacks in week one, uh, especially with the, you know an inexperienced quarterback who's just been on the team for essentially a month here. So yeah, if you could find a you know, an, an interceptions prop for Joshua Dobbs, which I'm trying to dig up as we speak. Uh, it is not listed at DraftKings. It's off the board. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's that's too, not a great Yeah, It's sign. too hot. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a little too hot. Uh, the, the books know. Um, and, you know, on Sam Howell, one of the greatest preseasons of all time, right? I, I think we were to always issue the disclaimer that, well, it is only the preseason and for good measure, but he looked great. He looked really good. And, you know, we'll, we'll need to see it in, in real live NFL games that matter. Uh, but that's a hell of a lot better than him, you know, just looking shaky in, in the preseason. So I, I, I don't know. I, I'm trying not to take it too seriously, but it, I, I don't know how else you view it other than encouraging.
2: Yeah. And I, I like that he's had a year to to kind of get himself acclimated. I like that he got to start a game at the end of last season. And I think, you know, bottom line, when we look back at at last year's draft class, I, I think we are going to wonder how Sam Howell fell so far behind the the rest of the pack at that at that position, because, I mean, he was pretty dominant the entire time at North Carolina from the time he was a true freshman onward. His sophomore season was incredible Third, junior year, some stumbling blocks, but I think that that was more personnel related that, than Howell himself. So I think we have a pretty good player here. And, and now we have, again, like you said, a Washington team that has the best unit period um, it playing in this game. And if there's you know some semblance of, of competence from, from the quarterback position, not only does Washington cover here, but I, I think that people start to catch on by the end of September that the, this is a, this is a team that could challenge for a playoff spot.
1: Let's move on to Raiders Broncos. One of several uh, interdivision matchups in week one, the number is three at some books. It's three and a half at others. I feel like I've seen mostly three and a half uh, over the last week. Yeah. You know, this is one that I I initially said, I'm, I'm staying away. Yeah. You know, I, I don't love either of these teams. There's too much variance, but you've kind of gradually talked me into the Denver side.
2: I I do like Denver here. I think the Raiders top to bottom, one of the worst rosters in football. Um, I think that the Broncos, you know, the, the famous stat that got memed into oblivion is if they were able to score 18.1 points per game last year, they, they, I think would have made the postseason. They did not. So they did not, but that's why they hired Sean Payton to, to, to fix the mess. And I, 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 I can't decide where I land on that. Is Russ going to, is he redeemable? Is he, is he able to recapture um, his previous form in Seattle? I, I know for a fact that it can't get worse than last year, especially with, with Peyton being there. I don't think that that Raiders defense is going to be able to hold up over 60 minutes. Uh, you have Jimmy Garoppolo coming in with, which I view as a slight downgrade for, from Carr. Um, you, you lose Darren Waller this off season Outside of Devonte Adams and you know Josh Jacobs, who just showed back up, you know who scares you on the Raiders? As uh, suppose Max Crosby, but I think that the the Broncos know that very well and are, are going to do everything to load up and, and slow him down. I and then you also have the mile high in September uh, type of effect here, where it's difficult for the road team uh, to hang over the course of sixty minutes. So all things considered as much as we wouldn't take the the Broncos minus three and a half last year, I think this is some semblance of a new leaf being turned over. And I think they take care of business here and get the cover at home.
1: This is another one where I I think the, you kind of have to look at each individual unit. And I I remain very skeptical that Russell Wilson ever comes close to being the player that he was two or three years ago. I I think that's, I think that's gone. I think we'll see a better version of him. I, I think Sean Payton will, you know, kind of be be pulling the puppet strings uh, certainly more than Nathaniel Hackett was, but I don't think that means that we all of a sudden just zap back to you know 2019 Russell Wilson. And I feel the same way about Deshaun Watson. By the way, I think maybe I feel a little more optimistic that that could happen at some point, but I don't necessarily think it happens in Week One. Uh, I I just don't think the Raiders' defense is any good. I think this is you know hot take there. I think this is a bottom three defense in the NFL. I, I you know you, you add Tyree Wilson, we'll see what you get out of him, but. Uh, that, that, to me, is a, a, more of a develop, developmental piece, not somebody who's going to make a major, major impact right away. And this was one of the worst secondaries, one of the worst linebacking cores in the NFL last season. They didn't really do a whole lot to address that. So even if I'm not that high on Denver, I, I think the Broncos can just play conservative here, lean on the run. And, you know, again, I think this is a, a low-scoring game. It's one of the lowest totals on the board. 44 is the number at DraftKings. I, I like the under on that. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I don't know that, that either of these teams get to 20.
2: No, I, I don't think so either. You you look at, um, you look at the Raiders depth chart and it's so many high pick retreads that, that flamed out at, at their first stop in the NFL. And it, it's sort of like one of those things that, that rings hollow, like uh, the, the Falcons offensive line is all former first rounders or, or the Ravens receiving core is all fir- former first rounders. It's like, well, where they all like drafted by the same team, mm. Mm, you know, like it, it can be a little bit um, over overstated as far as the talent and, and the ability of some of these teams to uh, successfully uh, convert on, on these reclamation projects. So uh, it's, it's rough there in Vegas. And, you know, on the other side of the coin, I think the Broncos have one of the best defenses in football. So I, I don't expect the Raiders to be able to, to really play, play catch up whatsoever. But, um, They'll be in a catch-up script, but whether they execute or not, I'm, I'm dubious of that. So give me the Broncos, Broncos at home, divisional opponent, uh, new look offense. Yep. I'll take it.
1: Let's go to the Eagles at the Patriots. Uh, Eagles, you can find them as low as three and a half point favorites at points bet. Most of the shops have them as a four point favorite on the road. Seen a lot of Patriots love, I, and I, I am yet to see really an explanation for why exactly the Patriots could could win this game, let alone cover uh, at home. Uh, you know, other than you know, everybody just kind of says, "Well, you know, Bill Belichick, you know, Jalen Hurts, he's never played a Bill Belichick defense before." And I, I get that argument. You know, I, I think Bill Belichick has certainly befuddled uh, a quarterback or two before, mm-hmm. and this defense should be really good personnel-wise. I think they're in good shape. Yeah, uh, you know, I think they made the requisite coordinator changes that they needed to uh, you know not having a defensive coordinator running your offense for example is a step in the right direction for the New England Patriots but this Philly team is a wagon man and we, we, we can talk uh, all we want about how great the Pats defense is I think the Eagles is right there I think personnel wise I like it even more and you know offensively I, these teams aren't even in the same stratosphere so even if Philly stumbles early, you know, even even if Jalen Hurts goes three and out on his first two drives, like I, I just think you know, over the course of four quarters, this Philly team is just too talented.
2: You make some great points there and, and it makes me feel queasy, uh, but it's been stuck in my gut all week that the Patriots make this one close. Um, it, it, they keep it to a field goal game. I, I don't see them winning. I don't like them as a money line upset or anything, but four points, which is where like you said, you can get it at at most places. I think new England can ugly this one up just enough. And I don't think offensively they're, they're going to be doing a great job or lighting up the scoreboard by any means. But what I think that they should be able to do is just kind of like play uh, possession, just try to like extend these drives, have these long clock chewing uh, type of drives that result in, in field goals, maybe, maybe one or two touchdowns so that like, they're just kind of shrinking the the pie um, on this game, limiting the amount of opportunities that Jalen Hurts and company have on the other side. And then hopefully and, and if you're betting the Patriots, that, um, you know, that defense is able to slow down the Eagles, the Eagles, you know, they're, they're coming off losing the Super Bowl. That's never a great feeling that, that's something that, you know, is, is worth monitoring. Do they have any sort of lingering effects? I mean, the, I know that the core is still together and, and, you know, arguably even better after the draft that they had, um, but I, I do wonder if they, they may be a team that that starts a little bit sluggish. And and if that's the case, the, the Patriots under Bill Belichick, one of the last teams that you'd want to play under those circumstances. So it's going to be ugly, but I'm betting that this game is going to be ugly. Uh, and therefore, I think the Patriots keep it just close enough to cover this one.
1: Does that make you want to go under on the total here, sitting at 45?
2: Yes, definitely. I, th- I think that the, we're looking at... Um, you know, like a 24 to 21 uh, type of game in fit in favor of the Eagles. So it'll be okay. close, but I, I like the under.
1: The action network had a great note on Mac Jones. He's he's 14, 17 and one ATS in his career, uh, but he's also four and zero ATS against Zach Wilson. So if you, if you take Zach Wilson out of the equation, <laughs> he is 10, 17 and one ATS uh, against every other quarterback that he's faced. Uh, meanwhile, Jalen hurts uh, and the Eagles were seven and zero straight up as a road favorite last season. Hurts, uh, though, just three and nine ATS as a road favorite. So taking care of business, but but not always hitting that number. Uh, we'll agree to disagree on this one. I, I'm not backing off the Eagles. Uh, let's go to the three games that we uh, conspicuously skipped on the Sunday day slate. John, we, uh, we kind of did a, a little subsection in, in our notes here. The toughest games to bet this week. And that is where we landed on Dolphins Chargers, Packers Bears, and 49ers Steelers.
2: Yes, so I think 49 ers Steelers. It, uh, the trickiness in that comes with how popular the, the Steelers have become in the market um, for, for this particular game. You know, the, the Niners dealt with with a lot of you know craziness that this offseason. A lot of a lot of it, you know, still yet to be resolved. We we don't know what, what the deal with George Kittle is uh, for this coming week, and they did, did get things sorted with, with Nick Bosa and everything. But Steelers are tough. You got Mike Tomlin. At home, you you gotta feel like I definitely understand the rationale behind backing the Steelers here. Um, it's two and a half, so you know if it, if it ends up being a field goal game, you you might be kind of cooked there. So that there there's some reason for concern, but mostly I I, I do feel like the Steelers are, are the side in this one. But the the Dolphins versus the Chargers game makes sense cool. of it to me, please.
1: So we saw this matchup last year. And we, we thought we were going to get the shootout of all shootouts. You know, the total was like 150. And neither team scored in the first quarter. You know, Tua was 10 of 28 passing in that game. Uh, it, we saw the Chargers defense, you know, really, they were so physical with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, kind of knocked them off their spot throughout the game. And, you know, it's not like the LA offense looked out all that great either. But, you know, the Chargers ended up winning that game. I, I'm going to zag on this one. I, I think we get a shootout, right? And, you know, the total's at 51. So maybe that's not a zag. I'm zagging away from what happened last year uh, I think in week one like the, both of these defenses are going to be scrambling a little bit um, you, know, you got a new offensive coordinator with the Chargers uh, I think Kellen Moore is going to want to put his stamp on this offense right away uh, you know and for me you know as a holder of a Justin Herbert MVP ticket this is where it starts right I, I don't want to see you know 41 year old Drew Brees Justin Herbert like we saw last year I want to see Justin Herbert chucking the ball down the field you have these big vertical capable receivers you add quit Johnston to the mix. Uh, they, they have an underrated fantasy tight end. Do I really like it? Gerald Everett. Uh, I, I like the chargers in this game. Uh, I, I wish the number was two and a half. I think it's a close game. Miami absolutely could keep up with the chargers, but you know, even for week one, it's a long road trip all the way out there to the West coast, not a great home field advantage of course, for the LA chargers, but uh, you know, you'd rather be playing here than you would all the way down in Miami. So uh, these are two just super, super evenly matched teams. I think they mirror each other in a lot of ways. Uh, The the one big question I have about the chargers though, is have they made any attempt to finally fix the run game? Because that is, that has been like the one thing you could depend on with this team over the last couple of years, we could talk about how how fun the offense is and how great Herbert is all we want, but year over year, this team just cannot stop the run.
2: Yeah. And you know, the, the linebacking core and the, the, the interior spine of that defense is suspect is Miami, the team that, that makes them pay for it. Not necessarily. It, it, it could come in the form of big plays. I, I think that that's sort of the theory that Miami's testing. They don't really have a, a you know, your traditional workhorse. And then Jeff Wilson gets hurt, of course, but with a chain and, and Mostert, if the chargers are not gap sound, that's a tu- that's a long touchdown right there. So that that's definitely a concern when it, when it comes to the chargers I'm leaning with, with the Dolphins here, but I don't feel great about it. Like, if, you know, if I was in your shoes and in and, and the circuit contest, um, I would not be putting the, the Dolphins on there. Obviously, no, you're don't. on the on the side of the Chargers anyway. But this this game period, I think, is one of the trickiest, if not the trickiest game to, to find your side on um, for, for this weekend. And, you know, that's reflected pretty well in, in how the markets are viewing it, too, where 55% of the money is on, is on Miami covering and 58 uh, percent of the tickets are on them covering and you know that's a that's a narrower spread across you know both uh the money and the the betting volume than pretty much any other game out there this week so that that goes to show just how split everyone is on this and i, I can understand the rationale for the chargers i but i feel i'm feeling the rationale for, it, for the fins just a little bit more
1: I can assure you, we'll go we'll go sicko mode at some point uh, throughout the season, probably many points in the circa million, But it, that that's a sicko mode pick uh, if you're going with either of these teams in week one. I think we have some better options to parse through. But that was that was a good breakdown. Uh, you know, player prop wise, you're getting this at plus one sixty five at DraftKings. Give me Justin Herbert over two and a half touchdown passes in this game. It's a high number. You know, most quarterbacks are sitting at one and a half this week. I love it. You know, like I said, I, I'm holding the MVP ticket. I need him to probably get close to 40 touchdowns for that to have any chance. And uh, I think it can happen this week. I think they're, they're going to have to keep up with that Miami offense. So uh, as far as value goes, you know, it's, it's a bit of a risk, but Justin Herbert to, to throw at least three touchdowns in this game, plus 165. Let's go to Packers bears. John really, really tough game to handicap. I, I was starting to talk myself into green Bay. Uh, this is another one where you're going to want a line shop. You know, they're, they're down to a a half point dog over at Points Bet. They're the, the numbers at one and a half at at FanDuel. Uh, it was at one earlier today, but I think we have we have pretty significant concerns right now, John, that Green Bay could be without not only Romeo Dobbs, but also Christian Watson.
2: Exactly. So that that's important. Like one one of those guys in a vacuum, you still feel okay about the uh about the Packers' ability to to hang here, but um, when you, when you start really having to dip into the, into the depth well, um, in this green Bay receiving core, things get pretty ugly and in, in a hurry, you know, like in Christian Watson, I think in, in and of himself is like a little bit of a dubious wide receiver one, at least based on what we know at this point, I, I think that maybe he develops into that, but missing him and the, the speed dynamic that, that he brings it, that allows the, the bears to kind of play up a little bit more. You're not so worried about getting beat over the top. I'm not sure that Jaden Reed offers that speed. Dontavian Wicks was a big play guy in college, but like I'm not even sure he's going to be active in this game. I, so I
1: think he might be John, because if Watson and Dobbs aren't playing, there's only four other receivers on the step chart. It's it's Jaden Reed, it's Malik Heath, it's Dontavian Wicks. Those are three rookies, and then you know the the uh, sturdy veteran presence here, Samari Touré.
2: Yep, seventh rounder from last year. So that is a mess. Um, so. You know, if, For your DFS folks out there, maybe, maybe Luke Musgrave is the play this week or Aaron Jones, but uh, for, for betting purposes, yeah, I'm concerned about the Packers. I mean, I, I felt like all along Jordan Love was going to need some help to, to really hit uh, his final form, and it's not going to be there. Uh, the, the Bears, I don't think that their defense is necessarily fixed either, but I don't know if it's going to get tested enough here for it to really matter. And I think that, that offense, I love that DJ Moore addition – I think the offensive line is coming together a little bit. I think Justin Fields takes another step forward this year. So, I'm I was very very much like you earlier this week is like why not the Packers, you know? Like the we were the Bears, but um and, it, and it's not just two receivers be, uh missing here. It's just thinking about that, like how the flow of this game is going to go a little bit yeah. more in depth and you know, that this could be something where Justin Fields if he's, you know, running for 100 yards and then, you know, throws for another 200 and two touchdowns you know, that, that ends up being, you know, such a significant sample against this Packers defense. And it's just going to be tough for green Bay to like have enough possessions to catch back up.
1: Yeah. You know, I'm not a believer in in the Packers defensive coordinator, specifically Joe Barry, but uh, did do okay. uh, Against Justin Fields last season. I mean, they've, this defense has seen Justin Fields four times over the last two seasons. So, you know, they, they should be relatively prepared, the unique challenges that he presents and i I want to say they held chicago under 30 total points in those two games last season so i I think this could end up being a slog i think green bay may ultimately have no choice but to really try to control this game on the ground and maybe they were going to do that anyway even if watson and dobbs were fully healthy Uh, i'm looking at aaron jones rushing prop right now john 57 and a half i love that because i i think they might not have a choice but to just keep pounding him, even if it's not all that effective on a per carry basis. I think that's a, a really friendly number that could rise uh, a few yards by the time we get to Sunday and we get confirmation that Dobbs and or Watson could be out. And for what it's worth here, I mean, Watson did not practice at all on Thursday. Romeo Dobbs was able to get in some work. Matt LaFleur sounded a lot more optimistic about Dobbs than he did Watson as of today, but uh, nothing certain at all whatsoever with either of those guys. I, I think they're, they're both probably 50 50 at best. Let's get to Sunday night and Monday night real quickly. Then we'll talk Survivor, but we'll hand out our locks and we'll get the heck out of here. Cowboys-Giants is our Sunday night opener. Cowboys, three-point favorites at some shops, three and a half at others. Uh, To me, this seems about right. I I think Dallas is the vastly more talented team. No question about it. Giants, you know, in in a lot of ways, felt like they overachieved last season. You you still see a lot of Brian Dable supporters. I am one of them. Uh, My question with the Giants is, did they do enough to remedy – what was by far their biggest issue last year. They had no competent receivers on this team and, you know, rather than addressing receiver, they went out and got Darren Waller, which is kind of a roundabout way to address it. That, that certainly helps. That's a, a big, big plus for this offense, but I, I'm still pretty underwhelmed with Isaiah Hodgins, Darius Slayton, Paris Campbell, the rookie Jalen Hyatt out of Tennessee. Uh, I, I I just think, you know, this this giant season could play out very similar to how last season went and for at least the first half of last season, it felt like they caught every single break. I don't know that you could count on that happening again.
2: Right, exactly. You know, as far as the, the help that they gave Daniel Jones outside of Darren Waller, you look at that receiver room and it's like, you know, the, the, the Twitter meme, like they're having a mid-off. Like, like no one is a standout talent in that receiver room. And yeah, I mean, to your point, the Giants were like the, the testament of, of overachieving. Last year, I think the, the Vikings like they're a more talented team, but you know, that like the, our issues with them were separate. Like the Giants shouldn't have been won- winning those games, period. And they were finding ways with, with Brian Dable. So, like the Dable versus McCarthy advantage, I, I think, is, is something to consider here. But the Cowboys have, for the most part, owned the, the Giants o- over the last few seasons. And I, I do expect that to continue here. I think maybe the Giants re- regress a little bit. Um, and I feel like that the Cowboys that I don't know if this particular core is ever going to actually get it done. Um, as, as far as like winning the super bowl or even making the NFC championship game, but for, for this particular game in this instance, I, I feel like they're going to be able to come out, land some haymakers and, and win this one by more than a field goal. So I'm on the Cowboys.
1: Let's go to Bill's jets in the Monday night window. Uh, a banger of a matchup john I, I i've you know publicly questioned on the xm show a number of times you know, do the detroit lions deserve this big opening spot on thursday night but man the, the schedule makers were, were in their bag with this monday night game bills at the jets bills two and a half point favorites that's held pretty steady over the last week i, I found myself leaning bills here I, I know you are you are on team bills regression this year yeah I, I, I view the bills similarly to the Minnesota Vikings and you know, obviously they're, they're a better team than Minnesota and Minnesota had more luck on its side last year than Buffalo did. But I, I think the bills do take a step back, but th- to me, that's a team that, you know, won like 13 and a half games last year because, because of the DeMar Hamlin game, you know, could have been 13, could have been 14. I still think this is pretty easily an 11 or 12 win team. They're still one of the three or four best teams in the AFC. And, you know, even if you maybe don't view them as a, a Super Bowl front runner, in the conference as they were last year. I, I think there's a lot more certainty on this bill's roster than there is with the jets.
2: It, I mean, it, there's certainly a lot more continuity. I, I will, you know, that that's, that's absolutely true, but I, I just am of the belief that the jets big offseason experiment is going to work. And I think Rogers is going to be able to hit the ground running. I think um, the, uh, the connection with him and Garrett Wilson, I think that that ends up being a big mismatch um, in, in favor of the jets. Um, will be interesting to see, you know, what what that carry split looks like between Brees Hall and what Brees Hall looks like and Dalvin Cook. But either way, I, I'm, I am expecting uh, the, the Jets to actually have some success on the ground here. I mean, the, I think the Bills, for being a team from Buffalo, lack some physicality. And I think that they're going to get rattled a little bit um, wh- when the Jets go into bully ball mode a little bit. And then on the other side, I mean, this is a, this is a Jets defense that has given Josh Allen pre- uh, problems. In the past, it, it yes. continues to get even better. Um, so this is this is a nasty defense. I'm I, in my mind's eye. I'm seeing a lot of flustered Josh Allen ripping off the uh, the chin straps after another three and out on Monday night. So give me the Jets here. I think they cover. Um, I wouldn't mind sprinkling on the money line as well. I think that the, the Jets come out make a statement in Week One to to the nationally televised audience that uh, you know this is a different gangrene than we've seen in the past.
1: That was a pretty strong case. And the number one thing that worries me is exactly what you said about last season, right? And, you know, things don't always carry over, but Buffalo lost to a, uh, you know, a Mike White slash Zach Wilson Jets team last year and, you know, squeaked by the Jets again later in the season. And, you know, at that point, Josh Allen was significantly less than hundred percent dealing with the elbow injury. Uh, You can say whatever you want, but, you know, they scored 17 and 20 points in two games against the New York Jets. And, you know, you could get away with that when when the other team has the worst quarterback in the NFL, but the the level up from from Zach Wilson slash Chris Streveler slash Mike White to, to Aaron Rodgers can't be overstated. So I, uh, I this is a really tough one for me. I, I can assure you, it will not be uh, on my billion card in Week One. I I, I still have questions about the Jets offense. I I don't have any questions about the defense and, you know, to me, it it just becomes, okay. You know, can, can either of these teams get to like 24 to 27 points? Because, you know, I I think if you can get there, you probably win this game, but I think it's easy to say, man, you know, Garrett Wilson, he did all that with with Zach Wilson. Now he gets Aaron Rodgers. Like, yeah, totally. I I, I'm all in on that. Garrett Wilson could be a first team, all pro. What about beyond him? You know, Mm -hmm. Alan Lazard, Nicole Hardman, Randall Cobb, you know, you, you have really no relevant tight ends to speak of Tyler Conklin, uh, you know, Brees Hall, Dalvin Cook, we, we like that combination quite a bit. But I, I I don't know that this Jets offense, like in terms of the receiving core, I don't know that it's all cra- what is cracked up to be beyond Garrett Wilson. I think we, we just see that name and we don't really read beyond that.
2: That's true. That that has been a, a bit of a blind spot. And, and you know, like it, doing as many best ball drafts as we do, it, it is interesting to see like the the sheer like split between Garrett Wilson being a late first round pick and then you don't see another Jets receiver come off the board until like when Aaron Rodgers did it at like pick 120 somewhere around there so that goes to show the the, the kind of discrepancy that the fall off in talent from number one to number two there and you, you know we've seen Lazard and Miko Hardman both be a little bit dinged up this week um, it looks like they were both full full goes on Thursday so they should be set there Miko uh, is is someone that You can't really build your offense around. He's good for a splash player too. So I'm interested to see if if they test that against one of the non-Tredavious white corners for Buffalo and and Lazard. I mean, you, you watch, you've seen probably more of Alan Lazard than almost anybody um, at at this stage. So you know that he's a fine enough talent. He's a good presence to have out there because he's a big body can help in in the run game, but yeah, he's not really a, a game breaker and they don't really have game breakers in the tight end room either. So that's, that's a fair critique on what the ceiling of, of this Jets offense can be. But, you know, Rodgers has transcended some not so great setups offensively before. And I think he's going to be fired up. I think his ayahuasca journeys into the darkness over the offseason. Uh, Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> I think that they are going to help him uh, just be tremendous on Monday night.
1: You know, we talk about guys like, you know, Percy Harvin and Jameer Gibbs. It's like, well, he's, he's like part receiver, part running back. Alan Lazard is like a hybrid receiver, left tackle. That, that's, yeah. that's that's my take on him. He's a, he's a better blocker than he is a, a pass catcher. Would you take Aaron Rodgers to throw at least two touchdowns in this game at plus 130?
2: I would. I absolutely would. I think, I think we're going to, we're going to get there by hook or by crook. Um, one's going to go to Garrett Wilson and one is going to be mm. a splash play to one of those depth receivers.
1: Okay, there we go. And look, we, we know if, if it's first and goal at the two-yard line, you're getting at least one slant or, or one fade to Garrett Wilson before they try to run the ball. We, that, that has yep. been borne out year over year.
2: <laughs> yeah, he th- that was in his contract, I, I believe, yeah. one of the stipulations. If we're in close, you got to let me try once. Yep.
1: All right, let's talk a little Survivor here. Uh, by the way, we, we are running both Survivor and Pickup contests uh, each week, starting this week, uh, over at Splash Sports. Uh, got yes, a partnership check them going out. On. Beat us yeah. in there. We're yeah, on. absolutely. Please, for the love of God, I dare you to beat us. I, I joined the Survivor contest. I know you're in both of these. Uh, it's been a great partnership at Rotowire with Splash Boards. You can go to rotowire.com/splash. That's S-P-L-A-S-H. Get in on these contests. A lot of money uh, being put up by Splash. I think entries are only ten bucks, uh, but you can win significantly more. So go join those Rotowire Survivor and Pickup contests. A bunch of our experts, a bunch of our writers, will be in both those this season. John, I have my Survivor teams uh, tiered off into uh, three separate groups here. Uh, Teams that I feel great about, teams that I feel a little less great about, and then what I've labeled the Sicko tier. If you really (laughs) want to go against, uh, I think, what the crowd is going to do, Tier 1, I have the Washington Commanders, and I have the Baltimore Ravens. And as a reminder, if you're new to Survivor, spreads are not involved here. The team just has to win outright. Uh, Tier 2, I have the Minnesota Vikings and the Seattle Seahawks. And in the Sicko tier... I have the Atlanta Falcons and the Philadelphia Eagles.
2: Well, uh, I'm definitely with you on on that first tier. And I, I think the first tier is fascinating because uh, on on one side, you have a, an established good team in, in in Baltimore team that that makes the postseason more often than, than not playing against Houston. But the question is, do you want to save them for a little bit further down the road? Because that, therein lies some of the strategy when it comes to Survivor, but if you get too cute, you know, that, that obviously can come back to burn you. And, you know, you just need to go one and oh every single week. And, and, you know, so saving teams that it's, it's a whole other, I mean, we could do like an entire podcast on, on, you know, the, the merits uh, of that thought process, but, you know, Washington, as we talked about during uh, our breakdown of that game, it's just like, okay, maybe we don't love Washington. Maybe we think they can be a sneaky competitive team over the course of the season. It just all comes down on Arizona. And I forgot to mention this earlier, and maybe this is just because I grew up in the D.C. area. A lot of my friends are Washington fans. The enthusiasm around that team now with Dan Snyder being gone and this being the first game at FedEx Field, Sands, Dan, I feel like there might actually be some semblance of like an electric crowd In Washington, which like I thought was was borderline impossible, but I I definitely see the merits of going Washington here, saving Baltimore for for another week. But but I also understand that the consternation of of riding with a team that's not as established as Baltimore.
1: Yeah, I mean, could this be like a falling of the Berlin Wall situation? Is is that what we're getting at? Like it's just this uh, this black cloud being lifted. In yeah. Washington, I, I I think you're right, man. And look, like you said, it, it depends how deep you want to go on this. You know, if you're playing in a contest like Circus Survivor, you know, Thanksgiving counts as its own week. Christmas counts as its own week. Like you, you really have to kind of map things out the deeper that you get. But you're not going to find a better spot to use Washington. And it's by no means a lock. You know, I, I feel a lot better if, if your goal is just to get to week two and figure it out from there, then use the Baltimore Ravens. But, you know, if you're if you're really kind of picking the matchups and trying to map out your first four or five, six weeks, you think you're going to be in it for the long haul this is not, there's not going to be a better spot for Washington all year, getting the Arizona Cardinals week one at home, the post Dan Snyder party. Uh, that, that would be my, my very simple case for using the commanders.
2: Yeah. It, it, you know, to, to uh, continue the, the cold war analogy, it'll be like uh, the McDonald's opening up in St. Petersburg and everyone go nuts. <laughs>
1: um, I, I also forgot Jacksonville here. Like, would you, where would you throw Jacksonville? Would they be tier one, tier two for you?
2: Um they would they would be tier two because they are on the road. um but yeah. but I still um I, I still view them as a viable survivor pick um this week, and I think uh, Seattle is right there um as well. i I think you know with what I was saying about the this Vikings game could get a little weird, you know, not nothing really based in hard science, but I, I feel like Tampa Bay might might give the Minnesota backers and Survivor just a little bit more of a sweat than they would like. Mm-hmm.
1: All right, John, I have one quick parlay to throw out that we will get to our locks of the week. Uh, we'll throw out at least one parlay per week here. We'll start getting into some teasers as well. Had a lot of fun with those last season. Uh, we're we're going to go with some games and some teams that we've already talked about here. We, we know that we're both on the right side. Uh, I'm taking the Jags money line. All they got to do is win in Indy. We're going to pair that with the Seattle Seahawks money line, not messing around with the spread in either of these games. And we are going to tether both of those to the under 45 in Eagles Patriots. You, you've sold me a hundred percent on that one that gets you to plus 286 at the DraftKings Sportsbook. So that is our parlay of the week for week one. John, give me your lock of the week, which game uh, against the spread. What, what's your favorite pick on uh, the entire slate?
2: Stamp it. I, I do love uh, that, that, uh, that teaser you just threw out or the parlay you just threw out. But for me, my lock of the week Am I placating my co-host here? Perhaps. I like where this is going. Do do, I I believe it it in my my deepest soul? I do. Give me the Jags minus four and a half. Take it to the bank. I love the Jags this week. I think they're going to make mincemeat of Indianapolis. And you can still get them at four and a half at FanDuel. Sign me up. Give me the Jags.
1: I love it. I love a little mincemeat. Reference uh, just a, a, a phrase that I've really like never fully understood, but uh, I just love how it sounds. Uh, I'm going to go with the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, not a whole lot else to say there. You can get them as low as four at FanDuel right now. That that makes me feel even better. I you know, when I wrote this pick down, it was five and a half. So I'm, I'm getting one and a half points here that I did not expect to get. I, I think Seattle wins this game pretty easily uh, out on the West Coast. Uh, John, that'll wrap it up for us, man. Uh, like I said, we'll be back every single week of the season all the way through the Super Bowl. Uh, we'll mix in some guests as the year as, as the, the season progresses. Uh, we'll be kind of keeping the same format. you know try to hit on every single game, give at least a thought or two on where we're leaning. We'll mix in some more player props as well as the year goes along. But uh, we appreciate everybody who's joined us live, whether you're watching on, on Facebook, on our Twitter account, on YouTube. Uh, you can find this of course in the RotoWire fantasy football podcast feed. And John, I've saved the best for last. This time next week, you and I, we will be together watching Vikings-Eagles Thursday night football, baby. I cannot wait.
2: Oh, my God. That that game better be better than than the one from from the Monday night doubleheader last year. But other than that, vibes are going to be immaculate. Uh, We will be coming to you from an undisclosed location, and we will not be podcasting. Whether you're
3: a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.